This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to another episode of The Crown Cast. And uh, we've been talking about it for a little while now, that the preseason is going on. We've talked about what we want to see out of a preseason, what a good preseason might look like. And uh, then we've complained. We've complained about the fact that no matter what we want to see out of the preseason, we weren't actually able to see the preseason, and that's changed. We've gotten the ability to use our own eyeballs to watch a game of football, and it didn't matter. It was a preseason game against the Charleston Battery. It effectively counted for nothing, but just the fact that we got to use our eyeballs to watch a game of football uh, was great, and here to use their eyeballs with me is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How you doing? Uh, I am well. I am well. Uh, those in my my personal life will know uh, that I have recently had devastating news across the pond, but <laughs> but we're here and specifically we're talking about Charlotte FC today, so we're going to try and keep it positive because uh, we did we did get a game of football against the Charleston Battery. We got to uh, to go in, watch the team play. We got to answer some of these questions that we've had about how some of these lineups have formed a team of ten outfield players. Uh, and I, I think that's probably the best place to start today. Would you agree? Yeah. So, so this match was originally intended to be played in Charleston, uh, due to weather concerns. They very last minute shifted this to Bank of America stadium, about 2,500, uh, Charlotte FC fans, Charleston fans who made the trip up, got the chance to go in. We got the chance to go in, uh, as media, which we were very appreciative of, uh, Charlotte won three, nothing. Yep. It's a preseason match, so it's a preseason match against lower division opponents. Yep, we probably should have won this one. But we won. We did. Yeah, we should have won, and we did. And before we get more into the Charleston Battery, I'm going to hop us off that track for just a second. Then I'm going to hop us back on. I'm going to hop us off because Charlotte FC, in good Charlotte FC fashion, has decided to wait until literally minutes. We're talking about this is measured in a, a time frame of minutes to do the media kit release yes, um, until after we've completed this podcast, <laughs> right? So they, they've, they've had a whole week of stuff that they could have put at any time. And they yes. said, you know what? Those guys over at the Crowncast down at the, the Queen City Podcast Network, they're going to be recording as they always do at this exact time and this exact day. And we are going to put it 30 minutes after they're done recording. Sure. Uh, so obviously a kit release party will have no relevant news to Charlotte FC fans. Yeah. There's no way the Charlotte FC fans would be interested in the, in the Royal purple. I mean, what? <laughs> uh, no, no one knows what it is. Uh, kit release for Charlotte FC, but we will be talking about that in next week's episode. Apologies. We had some hopes we'd be able to get it in this one, but I think we have enough stuff to talk about. We, the one thing we do know, and this is very sad. The black and mint has gone away. The black and mint has gone away. And I, I do think that there has been a collective uh, s- sense of loss. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I know that everyone grieves differently, but is that the best jersey that probably has ever been played? I mean, it looked phenomenal. It's it's a – unfortunately for Charlotte FC, they set the bar very high. Yeah, they kid. really did. Uh, I'll – I'll brag really quick. I took, I, I was very fortunate. I had the opportunity to get both a black and mint jersey and the original white and blue jersey for the first season. And uh, uh, I have them framed. Uh, shout out to Mira for getting this done for me. Uh, and they're framed half and half. So the front side of the jerseys are visible, but the right side is the black and mint jersey, and the mm-hmm. left side is the uh, blue and white jersey with the, the patch for having gone to the first game. 
and it is now one of my most treasured items ever. Um, I don't know whether or not I can make that a tradition. Well, but... you're going to have to get yourself another black and mint before they cannot be got anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, I do have the one now framed for all eternity. Yeah, but so. you need one to wear, too, because they look that good. They do look good. Okay, uh, we hope to be talking. And then, and then we're hopping back on. Yes. We're, we're hopping back on. We've done all of the, <laughs> the back and forth stuff. Now we can talk about Charleston Battery. Uh, Justin, I am going to first and foremost look at you, and I'm going to say I asked you a question previously, and that question was what does a successful preseason look like to you? Based on what the answer you've given me, how did this team look? Do you feel like you're happy with what you're seeing? Well, so first and foremost, most important thing coming out of a preseason, no big injuries. We made it through this match against the Charleston Battery, no big injuries. We've got another preseason match uh, this weekend coming up. We're going to knock on wood again and say no big injuries. That's yep. the first thing you want. Uh, the, the second thing you want is you want to see this team developing you know, what the style is going to be. We saw a, a lot of shifting styles last season between MAR and then, you know, what Latanzio tried to do when he first took the team over and then moving into this. Now I think we're really starting to see more Latanzio ball. And I got to say, yes, it's against lower division opponents. Yes, the lineups were just manipulated. Just spit it out, Justin. It looked pretty good. It looks really good. It, I mean, objectively, it's the type of football that we want to see, yeah. right? It's the let's be more aggressive, let's press one more off the ball, let's make runs off the ball, let's try and be the team that that holds play further up the field type of football. And you might remember that my expectations out of a preseason were goals. Yep. Right. I said, well, technically, technically, I said two things. I said, one, I want to see these guys get match fit. I still don't know whether that has been achieved. You know, like I said, with an interrupted preseason, you have to be able to focus on the fact that uh, we don't want to see injuries in the early season due to people not getting fit. But I wanted to see goals because yep. this is your time for your attack to go cr try crazy things. This yep. is your time to to play against defenses that aren't necessarily set. This is a good time to build confidence in young players playing against potentially lower division op opposition, you know? Yeah. And uh, attacking players thrive on goals. No matter what you say, no matter what league it is, players play better when they're scoring. And when they're not scoring, sometimes they go down a little easier or they don't quite beat that guy they used to beat before or they don't take that challenge to the end line. Or they don't take the shot that they should, which I think we saw you know, with, with a player like Swiderski as the season ex wrapped up last year. I, I think some of, some of that confidence dropped off a little. Yeah, it, it's I don't know how much, like, it's very hard to quantify how much confidence moves the needle, but we know confidence moves the needle. And more importantly, we know that this is where you start the build, Yeah. right? And we've started the build. We have three goals. I think we're going to talk about all of them very yeah. briefly. Two of them are almost carbon copies of them. You want to take the two outside and I'll take the one in the middle? Sure. So the first one uh, is, it's a nice sequence of play up the right wing, which Listeners, uh, a little spoiler here, get used to hearing that phrase yep. <laughs> as we talk about this match. Nice sequence of play up the right wing as Nathan Byrne uh, swings a pass up that side to Kerwin Vargas, who started on the right wing for us. Uh, Vargas just uses pace and uh, gets free, and it's a low cross to the center of the box right around the, the penalty spot. Uh, and the $6 million man, Enzo Capetti, uh, taps it in for his first Again, it's preseason, but it's his first goal in Charlotte FC uh, kit. And it was well taken. 
I mean, Vargas did the yeoman sheriff the work. He's the one who wriggled free on the right wing. He puts a perfect cross into a perfect place. It's a low one. It's a grass cutter. There's no chance a defender can get back to it. But it's right where Capetti needs it to be to run onto it and slot it past a keeper who's beaten. Really well done. Yeah, and it was very it was very simply executed. One of the things that I said is I want to see him score quickly. We've at least seen him score quickly. Obviously, that's not MLS competition, so it doesn't have the same weight behind it. I do want to talk to you about the Capetti flick. Yeah. Uh, earlier on that, he gets a wide open and clear one-on-one and uh, makes a decision that either makes you look really good or look really dumb and tries to chip a keeper who happily takes a very slowly clipped ball directly into his hands. What do you feel about that moment? Do you feel like this is a guy who should just bury it or you want him to throw that flare out there because if it goes off, it it really creates a launch platform? So plus side, the tape said that he likes doing this, so I don't think we were necessarily surprised by it. Minus side, the tape says he know he likes doing this, which means that keepers may be anticipating that, oh, if Enzo Capetti's one-on-one on you, maybe instead of worrying about left or right, just stand up. Wait, are you saying that other teams can do the same research on our players that, Some, that random people like you and I have done? Sometimes it happens. Um, I was disappointed to see it. We don't say this uh, nearly enough, but Harrison Awful plays a really great ball. This may be the last time we say this this season. I don't know. I don't know. But Harrison Awful plays a really great ball, splits the lines. And one thing about this match is some of the opportunities that we saw, this one in particular, really seemed to come from a willingness from Christian Latanzio to open it up and look to play a fast counterattack. Yep. Win the ball in the midfield, turn and look for – and we said when we talked about Capetti, if he gets that kind of service, he could be great. He finds himself in acres of space here. He has left, right, or center to try. The keeper does not, you know, go down, does not commit to one side or the other. Capetti still tries to chip him. Like you said, it's easily collected. I was disappointed because in that situation, what I want to see from a striker is I just want to see you whack the ball. Just crunch it in and make the keeper save it. Because you don't know what happens if you make the keeper save a hard shot. You don't know where that rebound's going to go. If you just chip the ball towards the keeper and he can easily collect, you know what's going to happen. You're, you're just not going to have a chance. See, you and I actually have slightly differing opinions on this one. Um, and that is from my personal experience as a keeper growing up, we got a lot of we got a lot of mental training in the one on ones because keepers usually lose those. And keepers are told you usually lose these. The advantage is to the player with the ball. And actually, I think it's like. 40 60 the player with the ball wins it's a lot more even than we're told and i think they do that to you know when they do eventually go in stop keepers from losing that confidence but we are warned over and over and over and over again that the space between your arm and your leg directly on the side and low of you is where these shots are most dangerous right it's somebody has to be really cheeky to try and chip you and they have to be really cheeky to try and, and go through your legs So 80% of these goals are scored by somebody with good touch bending the ball seven or eight inches off the ground just to the right or left of you. And I would expect that Enzo Capetti has that skill, right, to either side. Even Mm -hmm. Even if one side was closed off, that means the other door is more open. 
And I would have much more, I'd be much more okay with it if the miss was, hey, he went for the super high percentage, even if he hit it hard. Like, uh, I'll give you, you want to put some pace on it. Yeah. But he he went for the high percentage. I'm here to score goals, play first. And then when we're up six, because we're definitely going to be up in a lot of games, <laughs> six goals to zero. Um, that's my prediction. Get on this train. When we're up six, then you can do the fancy stuff, right? Then you can yeah. try and be cheeky and chippy. And maybe in preseason is the time to be cheeky and chippy, but it doesn't doesn't hurt us. I think it's just a talking point. We've seen it from this guy that he has a big personality. That personality is clearly not going to change just because he's in Bank of America Stadium. No, but like you said, you have to go for the higher percentage shot in those situations. Maybe this is just a flair thing because it was preseason. He didn't think he had to worry about it. I'm concerned that it's not. It might it might be a part of his his style. Yeah, and I don't know how good I feel about that. He also he went down pretty easily under several challenges, and I mm. I so I have my own thought process here, and we are starting to ramble. So I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. wrap this in, and then we'll get back on track. Um, remember when it was my job to keep us on track, <laughs> Justin? Uh, so we have uh, it. At first, it looked like he was going down as though he was in the Argentine league, mm-hmm. right? And then I saw him going down under what appeared to be sort of different circumstances. And the cynical side of me says another player who thinks he's going to get free stuff from the referee. So he's just going down because he can go down and he's not going to get it in this league. And then there was a part of me that went, I wonder if he's testing the referees because good players do this. Good players know how to, to find where the line is. Right. And it almost looked analytical, and you can tell me if I'm crazy, but I feel like he went down in enough situations and enough differing situations that he might just be feeling out the referees of this league and figuring it out in preseason, and then he'll go down once he's already proven, hey, mm-hmm. I get it, uh, I get this in the MLS in the actual games. That's optimistic. Would you say that's optimistic? Very. I, yeah. I would call that very optimistic. I have a lot of concerns about that aspect of Enzo Capetti's game. Yeah. Uh, so let's move back into yeah. uh, the game itself. I'm going to talk about the second goal. Uh, Brant Bronico doing Brant Bronico things. Uh, has some fancy footwork. Again, up the right. Yeah. Um, moves the ball around well. Uh, shoots off to the end line. Pulls back a fantastic cross. And Justin, I cannot take this credit. Uh, you were the one who pointed this out. Uh, for a very refreshing change, there are many, there are there is more than one Charlotte FC player waiting at the, the penalty spot. You know, it's not just one guy surrounded by a sea of defenders. Uh, this one ends up coming a fairly difficult ball to Ben Bender, who chests it down well and very coolly and calmly slots, slots into the back of the net. Um, good for Ben Bender. Yeah, I mean, um, he had a couple of good runs throughout the the time he was on. You know, the last time we saw him play would have been when we had that crazy restart game in the yeah. last season, and he missed a right in front of the goal sitter. Yeah, in that one. So uh, I think good for him to to sort of show up again in front of goal and and show he does have the composure to put it in the back of the net. Uh, he did that for us a couple times in the first season, but we've talked about the fact that we don't know exactly what role he's going to play. My position here is Brant Bronico and Ben Bender in this instance of play both do a pretty good job of reminding uh, Christian Latanzio, hey, I play the football good. Yeah. You know, at least I want to be in your mind. 
in that particular moment, it's Vinicius Mello who is making the near post run mm-hmm. um, and and just misses Bronico's cross. But like you said, it's great having two players in because I think Mello's run draws defenders away from where Bender was. Uh, you're right, Bender chest down really well. I will say uh, both, both formations that we had, and the second formation only got about 30 minutes, um, looked a little more like a 4-2-3-1 than, than yeah. sort of what we saw where in the first half it was Hegert and Westwood who were playing that sort of two midfielders. In the second half, it was Bronico and, and Bender. And I got to say, they both looked, especially in the second half, Bronico and Bender both looked very good in their roles. I leaned over to you as we were watching the match in the box and said, you know, Bender is making these passes off of muscle memory now. It's feeling right. He's starting to feel where the pressure is, where his teammates are, and he's making good passes uh, in those positions. They're both getting forward well contributing to the attack well obviously it's it's the two holding midfields that combined for this goal really great to see great that we are having this kind of challenge for those midfield spots because it just makes people better yeah absolutely it makes people better and it's this type of stuff we we asked for right we asked for competition um it, it's good to see it it's good to see bender doing well he he definitely had a couple of moments where we still see some of those old uh old problems re- rear their head but it looks better uh, Brent Bronico, good on him. I think we move on to the next goal that comes off of, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the right. Oh, yep. It is uh, yeah. another one on the right wing. And uh, what happens here, and stop me if you've heard this, but our right winger gets to the end line, crosses low to the penalty spot, and someone taps at home. It's a carbon copy of the first. It's just this time replace Vargas with Mackenzie Gaines and Enzo Capetti with Nuno Santos who uh, played wide on the left with the second squad, which was kind of an interesting spot to see him play out there. Yeah, that was one thing that I was going to make a quick mention of, is we saw a lot of, I'm going to call it rotation, but it was much more, it was much more of what you see when you get like four people who are masters of jazz music in the same room. (laughs) And they're just like, hey, you want to play something? And nobody has sheet music. And they're just like, yeah, sure. And they just go. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we saw Ben Bender pop up on the left. Yep. Um, you know, obviously he started in a very clearly defined midfield role. And then all of a sudden he was just the outside guy. Yep. Right. Uh, we saw the same thing sort of happen with Brandt, where he would have a very clearly defined hold short defensive midfield role. And then all of a sudden he was on the right wing flying up to, to get yep. a cross in. So I, I don't know whether or not that was intentional or whether or not. Oh, I. I think it's very intentional. We saw a moment in the first half too, and and we I remember sort of reaching out and talking to you about it, um, where Chris Hegert dropped back from his midfield position into more of a central defense position. Uh, Jan Sobosinski, who was playing that left center back role, pushed wide to the left back role, and Harrison Awful actually pushed up into a sort of defensive midfield. And so so you are seeing sort of these triangles of players that are willing to rotate and shift and fill different spaces and it creates different challenges for defenders and I like the fact that we're doing that. You know you know what that means, Justin? That we're playing football. We are in fact playing football. <laughs> yes, that is actually what we're doing, but it does mean that the player and a half system is coming. I yeah. mean, the player and a half system whether you like it or not, you cannot successfully play one position anymore at the highest level of this game anywhere no, you have to be able to play one and a half positions effectively to to find time yeah. uh, i think is what it looks like 
But the good news is it looks like the young kids are being trained to be one and a half position players. And that uh, leads us into, I'm going to do one crown a piece yeah. and one card a piece for this. Yep. Keep in mind, this is preseason. These crowns and cards, we almost could have just thrown them out randomly and called the name of the head it landed on, right? <laughs> so uh, go ahead, Justin, you give me your crown first. Um, my crown is going to go to the new Englishman, the old Englishman, Ashley Westwood. The old Englishman, yes. Um, he, he, you know, playing next to Haggard in sort of those holding two, he did what he said he was going to do in, in those interviews when he first came in. He progressed the ball well. He, you know, we didn't score in the first half, but when we had opportunities to, a lot of it came from Westwood. He had a very beautiful free kick opportunity that was nearly headed home by Jan Sapasinski. Um, he had a, uh, a one touch on the half volley from a throw-in that immediately put, and, and, like just inside our half, he volleys a ball forward into space that Kerwin Vargas ran onto. And I mean, he's going to be a difference maker and a general from the midfield. Yeah, I know exactly the ball you're talking about. And it was really, really good to see it because he came in. I'm not going to say exclusively for this passing ability, but that's what everybody was talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. When you watch his when you w watch his a roll. It's all passing. It's all <laughs> it's all how well can I hit a ball from, you know, 20 feet outside our 18 yep. to the guy running onto the goal. And he does a great job of it. Uh, we see it here. Uh, I don't know exactly. I don't feel like I saw him really integrated with the team, but I don't know that we could because he's been actively playing for the team, playing with the team for not long at all. Yeah. So I think that will smooth out over time. And I'm really glad to see that even when he's not connected, those those really smooth long balls are in effect. I'm going to go to my crown. And I am going to... I'm going to crown... <laughs> this is tough because they're... I feel like a lot of people did some some really good and some yeah. not so good. I'm going to crown Vicinius Mel. Um, and I don't know that he's going to be the one that will jump off the screen uh, that you definitely did not get to watch for this match <laughs> or would jump off of the live viewing but he looks ready yeah and it's such a weird statement to say we have enzo capetti we have the six million dollar man yeah. right we have carol swiderski icon of the club yeah why do i like vicinius mello so much like he's, he's he's in the right spots he's fast he's dynamic he beats defenders he creates problems he makes runs he draws people away from yeah. the play he's he's there and like he's there to the point that we talk about these young guys and go are they ready right what do they need mm -hmm. and he is not just going oh hey i'll follow you for the last 15 minutes of games we've already won he looks like he wants to play yeah. Um, and for that alone, for, for everything that I, I see in this game and the attitude I see from him, uh, it looks really good. I, I think a crown of it, Vicinius Mello, does that feel fair? Yeah. I mean, you, you know how I feel about this kid. I, I'm super excited for him. Uh, I think he looks I think he looks strong. I think he looks fast. I think he looks dangerous. I, I think he looks like the future of the number nine position for Charlotte FC, which is not great when you just spent $6 million on a number nine. <laughs> uh yeah 
Yeah. I mean, maybe. But hey, maybe Capetti that- scores 22 goals this season and then gets sold to Europe. You know, he gets to go play for Brighton or something like that in England or, or yeah. you know, Valencia in Spain, something like that. And then Melo comes in and scores 28 next season. Yeah. And then he gets sold to to some other club and, <laughs> and we walk away with $65 million. Yeah. You know, and dollars all of a and- sudden, Charlotte gets the reputation of the development location for strikers. Yes. And we start getting young strikers. We're way ahead of ourselves. Young. Yeah, we're, we're so be far beautiful. gone. Yeah. 2027, Charlotte is going to have the most dangerous strike force in all the MLS. And, and All right, I'm gonna, <laughs> we are still in the real world. I'm I gonna know. need you to stop dreaming quite that much. We're gonna have to card some people for this one too. Yeah, we are gonna card a couple people. I'll let you go ahead and take your card. Yeah, um, my card is going to sound harsh because my card is going to be for a player that I believe is still playing out of position. My card is for Derek Jones. Derek Jones started this match at center back. I almost crowned Derek. Jones. I, I just don't see the progressive passing that I think now we did not see Edelson Melanda anywhere in this match. Yeah. He was not carrying a knock. I, I understand that Derek has the physical attributes of a central defender. I understand that he has the defensive capability of a central defender. Every time the ball came to DJ to distribute, it went to Jan Sabasinski or it went to Nathan Byrne to do his distribution for him. And the problem with it is if you are a center back who is predictable, you are a center back who is closed down and you are a center back who eventually concedes goals. See, I don't I don't know that I can agree with you in all of this. One, this is a guy who has had we we have been quasi reliably told uh, quasi reliably because this is all hearsay at this point. Again, no one actually gets to watch these other games. <laughs> um, we have been quasi reliably told that Derek Jones has had like a week of practicing at center back. Sure. So in this team, which is getting mixed around all over the place, I cannot expect him to be like hitting long through balls up into the 10 position and everything outside of long through balls up in the 10 position. He did well. He stepped around pressure. Well, you know, he did get, they did try to close him down a couple times. He did not turn the ball over. Uh, he he did move the balls to the outside. I don't know where else you expect him to to, to pass it to. Uh, now, is Nathan Byrne a better uh, a better outlet ball than Derek Jones? Absolutely. Is Jan I mean, Sobosinski a better outlet ball than Derek Jones? Potentially. Soba looked good. Here's the other thing: most of the team looked pretty good. Yeah. So if you're carding somebody, you are carding somebody on sort of the the thinnest of margins. I don't think that DJ had a bad game. I don't think that he should be played as as, as a center back. It's okay. You're not going to agree with my card either. <laughs> um, my card is also going to sound very odd, and it is for somebody who scored a goal. Uh, it's for Nuno Santos. Hmm. And it is not, uh, you know, this isn't like, I'm not trying to, to cast down Nuno Santos's career. I'm not trying to say he's not going to make it. Nuno Santos doesn't look connected. And it's funny because when he gets the ball, I I feel like I can see his skill, right? I feel like I can see his talent. I feel like I can see mm-hmm. his confidence. I just don't see him. Like outside of it, I don't see where he is slotting cleanly into the team. He just looks disconnected with one notable exception when he very cleanly scores a goal. Right. So that that connection, and maybe this is what I was worried about from last season. I didn't see it last season either. Right. 
this guy who we, we see has this ability, who we see has this touch, we see has this running power, who we see has this, you know, shooting potential. Why do I not see him on the field? Let me ask you this, and maybe maybe this explains a little bit of where Nuno went. Did you see Andre Shinyashiki on the field this past weekend? Honestly, not a ton. Because if the 10 isn't connecting the left winger into play, and Joseph Mora is the left back sitting behind him, and I say that Joseph Mora had an absolutely beautiful goal-saving tackle yeah, and phenomenal job. He didn't offer anything going forward. Yeah, I, I will say there is a, a potential statement that connect connectivity out on that left wing could result in some of this, but I did not see the connection. Everybody has to work in the same system. Sure. Again, this is like we are we are pulling at hairs here, but I would like to see him more connected to the team. I think there's probably a fair shot that, that maybe one of us should have carded Andre because he was pretty yeah, invisible. Yeah. Which, for somebody who has liked sort of playing close, sort of uh, tiki-taka balls that are are short, quick passes, did not see him do a ton of the connecting. So maybe we maybe we should have met uh, a little honorary <laughs> card out there for stuff we've already talked about. I'm going to move us along. And the reason I'm going to move us along is we're going to take a quick break. Uh, for those of you out there uh, who already know, we work with the Queen City Podcast Network, and they do pretty well by us. <laughs> but we're not the only people who do podcasts. That's right, there are other Queen City Podcast Network podcasts, and we're going to tell you about one of them right now. We'll be back after this. Where do you turn to stay in touch with the city around you? Broadcast news isn't what it used to be, and commercial radio doesn't scratch that itch. If only there was one place you could get it all, when you want, wherever you want, on your schedule. There is the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city on your schedule at queencitypodcastnetwork.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back. We're back and and kind of into an we're going to do sort of an extended news rundown because whoa, the whoa, whoa 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 whoa. There's one hot there's one well, hot the hot f- spicy piece of questionable news. That I'm going to ask you about first. And yeah. Then, then I'll let you do your full news rundown. All right. There's a guy. His name is Nikola Petkovic. Yes. Who is he? So Nikola Petkovic is a defensive midfielder. Uh, he is 19 years old, currently playing in Serbia. He's a Serbian international, uh, currently playing in Serbia, who has been purchased for $3 million in transfer fee by not Charlotte FC, but Crown Legacy FC, which is interesting, right? Because three million's kind of a lot of money. So uh, I have to defer to you here because you know much more about this than I do. But I believe we were talking earlier and you said this is the fourth most expensive purchase? Oh, this is the third. The only third two players more expensive than this in terms of transfer fee for Charlotte FC are Enzo Copetti and Karol Swiderski. This guy cost us more than Kamil Yuzwiak. He cost us more than Kerwin Vargas. He cost us more than Vinicius Mello. He cost us more than Christian Kalina. Like, this guy cost us a, a 
pretty considerable amount of cash. And when I say us, I mean Tepper Sports and Entertainment because – No, it's us. We pay <laughs> Tepper Sports and Entertainment a lot of money to sit in that. Um, we have talked at great length in podcast in the in the past about the fact that it's not cheap to get tickets to these games. Yes. Um, and so, you know, yes, it is technically coming out of uh, Tepper Sports and Entertainment, but – I don't think as some of that is coming from us. Yes. Well, I, I just don't think as fans we have the ability to be completely absent of where our money comes from. Sure. Right. Like, uh, I'm sure there there are clubs in the world that are owned by some fairly questionable places, <laughs> uh, and and they can just throw money that comes from fairly questionable places at players that yeah. is never ending. Right. And there's always the talk about the fact that, you know, what is the what is the moral difference between a billionaire and a millionaire? And the answer is a lot of zeros. <laughs> but the it's a lot of zeros. But you know, three million is a lot of money. So yeah. whether this guy comes in and he's supposed to be the absolute say all end all star of Crown Legacy, or as has been put to me in some pretty cool thought processes by people potentially smarter than me. Justin, this guy could come into the team in an unusual way. So the the rules around calling up a, a player from your MLS Next Pro squad are very clear. They can make a maximum of four appearances for the senior side in the season in league matches. That means in MLS matches. So this is sort of the Montreal situation from last season where we had a bunch of COVID uh, you know, cases and all of a sudden Quinn McNeil's making his debut with the team and Chris Hegert's playing again, you know, and uh, Coa Santos is being called up and all of these players are being called up that at the time from Charlotte Independence. We can do that four times with each of these players for, for MLS Next. I doubt that that'll necessarily be a huge thing this season uh, for Petkovic. Um, we can call him up for any number of non-league matches. So U.S. Open Cups, League Cup, League mm -hmm. Cup. I think League Cup matches, we, we would be able to bring them up, even though that's technically still being played under MLS because so, it's an MLS versus Liga MX competition. So this could be potentially really interesting. Yeah. Because this player at 19 years old, we would probably say in a similar vein to the, um, well, I would have said Vicinius Mello, but that guy looks insane, um, to the Hamidi Diops, to the Ben Benders, they might need a little time to get ready anyway. Yeah. Next season, you told me some interesting things about how he could move into well, the team. Well, I mean, we can, you know, essentially engineer the transfer, right, between MLS Next Pro and, and the Charlotte FC side. And it's, it's interesting in that this is a guy that's already playing for the Serbian national team. And it is kind of a downgrade to move from, you know, the Serbian league where he is, where, where obviously for the Serbian national team, there's going to be more eyes on that to essentially the reserve side. I have to believe that he's going to be coming up to Charlotte FC, but the 3 million in transfer fee, you know, in terms of balancing the books and finances and, you know, any salary cap implications, anything like that, like all of those things go to, to crown legacy FC where there isn't currently a salary cap or anything like that, that I'm aware of, uh, you know, with an MLS now, I'm not saying that this is all about creative financing and getting this player in with a, you know, being able to avoid the transfer fee hitting. You, you know, can say Charlotte it's FC. creative financing. Well, you know, it's interesting that a player chooses to come to MLS Next Pro when, I mean, this guy played 
for the Serbian national team three weeks ago against the U.S. men's national team in a friendly. This is not a guy that is is looking to like move his career into. He's not looking to play league, league two anywhere. Yeah. Right. Uh, I will say one of the things that I think will be really interesting to watch and something I think that we can keep an eye on uh, for those of you out there is I don't imagine there's any restrictions on him training with the first team. Um, yeah, I think they'll all be at sort of at the same training facility, right? You so know? I wonder how many times he, uh, you know, oh, we happen to be one <laughs> short on the first team's uh, scrimmage. Hey, you know, uh, Petkovic, come over here and and help us fill in the gap. It wouldn't surprise me if most of the scrimmaging that's done at the training facility is MLS versus MLS Next Pro sort of thing. Like, See, I don't think that's true. I think a lot of it is uh, – Or I, mixed not, squad. Yeah, I'm not going to call it Team A versus Team B, but I think it's Team AB versus Team BA, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we we pit Team A's attack versus Team A's defense and Team B's attack versus Team B's defense sort of stuff. And if Pekovic just happens to fill an open hole in that in almost all of the training practices – like I can see how this is a great pathway for someone coming in to to get in and maybe financially the books <laughs> hit in a nicer way than they otherwise would have. But you're right. I, I have trouble thinking that this guy would come here for anything less than, hey, the whole goal is we're moving you up. Yeah. And, and you know, he's 19 years old. He's five foot 11. He plays defensive midfield. Looking at what tape is available on him. Uh, he tackles well. He anticipates and intercepts well. But I think if he's got the thing, if he's got the superpower that you've talked about before, it is ability to distribute from the central deep-lying midfield position out to the wings quickly, well-weighted balls, a lot of the same kind of stuff that at 32 years old, Ashley Westwood does. Yep. So and, – and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong – but is this another interesting young talent that's surprisingly good at long passes that we've uh, acquired? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, and it, so it will be interesting to see. It, I will say Charlotte FC and Crown Legacy, yes, that Crown Legacy FC team looks like it might be getting pretty stacked for MLS Next Pro. There are a lot of very good players that are ending up there, very young players, developmental contracts, everything like that. Um, if you've got an opportunity, they're going to be playing at Matthew Sportsplex. Uh, down on the the sort of southeastern side of town, um, season tickets I think for for MLS Next Pro only at like one hundred and eighty dollars. If you're already going to be watching the MLS streaming package on Apple TV Plus, MLS Next Pro is going to be on there. Yep. You know some of the highlights, some of the go- some of the games, everything like that. But you know if if you got a hanker to watch some some you know maybe a little bit cheaper football, maybe in a little bit more no, intimate environment, we, it's it's. It's more affordable. For well, them. yes, more more affordable. But uh, yeah, Charlotte, uh, you know, Crown Legacy FC down at Metro or Matthew Sportsplex might be a great way, especially if you only want to go take the kids out and maybe you're a little bit less concerned about, ooh, we're going to be in the big stadium and it's going to be the, the the pro pro players. Go watch the next set of pros. Yep, the uh, next no. pros. No, um. I'm, you're, you're not even getting a smile out of me for that <laughs> one. I am going to go ahead and push this along. Yeah. The news, if you would go ahead and do the the rapid fire news. So um, Charlotte FC's Min City Collective, one of the major supporter groups and one of the key supporter groups for Atlanta FC, have partnered to release a um, Anton Forever Walks With Us scarf. Uh, It's $25. It is uh, all of the profits are going to the AW5 um, 
like everything, the supporter groups and everything aren't making any money off of this. Everything that is, is that comes in related to these scarves is going to Anton's charity. Um, it's a really nice scarf, even though it does have the Atlanta United logo on it. But, uh, it, you know, it's a great way to, to remember uh, Anton. It's a great and, way to remember, um, you know, the, the player and his impact on all of us. And, and it's a good right, way to remember that, you know, no matter how big rivalries are, there are things that, that transcend that, you know, yep. that, that we all play football together. And um, As I said, there is another uh, preseason match this weekend. Um, the, there were some tickets that were briefly released to season ticket holders. I think, unfortunately, these may have immediately sold out uh, and were only released to season ticket holders. Um, so, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Now, as a general rule, Charlotte gets something like 34,000 people that really want to see their games. Yes. So at 5,000, I believe it was, seats, those yep. went pretty fast. Yep. Um, we have engineered another trade. Uh, we have sent more in general allocation money. I don't have the exact number yet. But uh, more GAM, this time to the New England Revolution for what we love collecting more than anything else, international roster spots. Uh, yep. I don't know if that – it is so difficult to figure out on the, the team's website and everything like that who counts as an international. I don't know how many international slots we've got left. One has to assume that at some point we're buying some of these because we're going – there are still players coming in. Transfer window in MLS is open until April. So there's several months of the season where the front office will still actively be pursuing players and looking for reinforcements for the squad. Let's hope maybe it's center back or left back, center back and left back, center back and potentially left by it back. Please. Yeah. Or Please. left back and potentially center back. Um, hey, you know what? Maybe we'll get another left midfielder. Mm. I don't think we have enough of those guys. Do, somebody could play on the left wing. Look good out there. <laughs> um and then the the final piece of news or the final reminder I want to put out to everybody is that our first MLS match of the season is February 25th. We play the New England Revolution. It's here. It's in Charlotte. There are still tickets available. There are $15 tickets available. Let's fill up the bank. Let's bring the noise. We, we can't expect to match last year. We're racing against maybe getting beaten on that MLS attendance record. L.A. is starting the season with LAFC versus the L.A. Galaxy, El Trafico, and it will be played at the Rose Bowl, which seats 90,000 people. If they sell that out, we're going to lose our record, unfortunately. And I don't think there's a ton we can do about that. But what we can do is try and fill up the bank. Let's yeah. get some more seats in, sold there. Let's get some more people. Bring the kids $15 tickets. I'll, I'll make this really easy. Tell your friends. Tell your friends, friends. Tell your friends, parents, friends. Tell, tell your, your enemies. Friends, tell your enemies. Tell your enemies, enemies, because they could potentially be your friends. Um, we are going to start to wrap this up. Before we do, I am going to say, you know, I did something at the last podcast I don't do very often. I asked, please and thank you, if you could go out and rate us. You know, that stuff really helps us. So I'd like to take the moment to say thank you to everyone who took the time to rate us. Because, like I said, that helps. So uh, thank you very much. And we will talk to you again next Wednesday. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot